land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. I'm Pete Wargent. We're on a mission to become Australia's most trusted property podcast. And we take a plain English look at some of the biggest questions in property. Now, I'm joined today by one of Australia's top buyer's agents, Amy Lunardi. Welcome, Amy. How's your week been? My week has been pretty good, Pete. I mean, I'm a little bit jealous of you being overseas at the moment. We are stuck here in the middle of winter and it's about five degrees outside and you're over in sunny England at the moment. Yeah, it's been hot actually over here. Yes, nice. uh, it, it doesn't uh, stay like that all year round, but certainly, no. <laughs> yeah, certainly the last couple of uh, months have been very nice indeed. So, uh, yes, I'll be back in Melbourne at some point soon, no doubt though. Um, so, thanks for joining us today, everybody. Uh, we will be covering today uh, house and land packages. And we always love to answer any of your questions and be guided by you. So, um, if you want to ask any further questions, don't hesitate to get in contact uh, via the link in the show notes. Um, we'll also put links in there to the stories we're talking about. So, Amy, lots to talk about this week, house and land packages. So let's start right at the top um, by explaining well, what is a house and land package and how is that different from buying, say, um, like an off-the-plan property or an established property. Yeah. Well, let's start off by also mentioning, Pete, that you and I, as as buyers agents, we don't specialise in or necessarily work in the field of house and land. We buy established properties for our clients and we're going to run through the reasons why today. And it's not to say that we are necessarily um, completely against this option if the right, it's the right option for you. But definitely from an investment perspective, it is something that we don't necessarily focus on. And with 
uh, house and land packages. So I actually, I like to call it land and house (laughs) because the most common situation when you're buying these types of properties is when you purchase the block of land first and then you settle on that block of land and then you build a house later on. That's the most common, but but everyone just tends to call it house and land and house and land packages. Um, and the package option is, I was speaking to a friend that works um, in mortgages at Commonwealth Bank and she said she doesn't commonly see packages, which is where you do actually buy the land and house together, but you're still building it, but you're more locked in with that particular um, developer or that builder. So it kind of comes as a package. Um, But the most common is buying the land first and then the house later. And the big difference there between that and established is you've got two contracts and therefore two loans. First of all, you need to go and buy and find a block of land and get a loan for that and settle that and then go and find a builder and get a build contract and get a construction loan and then go through that process in comparison to buying an established property where it's one contract and that property is ready to go um, or an off the plan property that is one which may not have been built yet but it's still just one contract and you're not responsible for that build process. You don't have to go and find that builder. It's all going to be done for you. So though that's the sort of key difference between those three types of properties. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I guess one of the key challenges, particularly at the moment, is if you were to jump onto one of the main real estate portals and do a a filtered search for uh, blocks of land, there just don't seem to be that many available, Um, especially uh, to somebody just jumping online and doing a search. And I guess we've got record high population growth, um, land releases notoriously slow, you know, Australia doesn't seem to keep up with the demand. So um, it can be quite a challenge for people to find good vacant blocks of land. And when they do, they're often priced pretty high. Um, so what um, what are some of the reasons that people would choose to go down the house and land package route, in your opinion? Well, I might just um, sort of rewind on your point just there, Pete, to talk about the different types of land you might come across Uh, if you want to go out and buy a block of land which is already titled, that means it's already been subdivided and you can buy it and settle on it straight away and go build as as soon as you can, those are pretty rare. They're pretty hard to find. Mm, Very hard. Yeah, so the more common ones that you will tend to uh, see in land and house or house and land is ones that haven't yet been titled. So you're going out and finding something which hasn't just just picture like a massive paddock. I'm just going to be so you can have something in your mind. And that paddock hasn't been split up into little blocks of land as yet. There's a plan to do so and you're going to be buying one of those lots, but it hasn't been chopped up into little pieces yet. Or think of a big birthday cake and you're you're buying one of those slices of cake, but they haven't cut it up yet for you. And the process of cutting that up and being able for you to then go and buy that and settle it and build on that, it can take a really long time. So you might purchase it now and they're not going to cut it up for you for maybe a year, maybe two years, maybe even longer and delays can happen. And those are blocks of land which we call not yet titled. So it's important to understand the difference between those because there is also that leads on to other kinds of issues and risks which we'll talk about um, in a moment. So Pete, to actually come back and answer your question, why would someone consider 
um, this kind of option. Well, let's address this first from a home perspective because there is a um, you know difference between buying it as a home versus an investment. If you're buying it to live in, it's generally going to be a lot more affordable for you to buy these types of properties in comparison to buying that same product, that same size property and, you know, land size and, and condition closer in, in an already established area. So you might be able to get a four bedroom, two bathroom, brand new house with a double garage for within your budget, even though it's going to be a lot further out, or you might not be able to get in there straight away because you've got to build it. And if that's something that is of value to you, you want that space and size and you've got a family or you want the double garage or you just want a brand new house, that can be really appealing to you. Um, You can pay less stamp duty because you're only paying stamp duty on the land rather than um, on the full house. Um, And also you can make changes to the design. You can customize it sometimes. I mean, depending on what builder, if you're going with a volume builder or a custom builder, you can make a lot of changes or at least choose the interior design to a certain extent. So that can be really appealing to a lot of people. You can also um, like lock in the price of the land now. So if that land value goes up and you're ready to build in a couple of years and values have gone up, well, you've bought something at yesterday's prices and Bear in mind that that doesn't always happen. Land doesn't always go up. But sometimes, especially if you get in at the start, like one of those initial land releases when they're releasing estates, um, you can, uh, your land can be worth more basically when you settle, not always. And then lastly, the first homeowner's grant, which is cash money that the government is giving to you. And how often do you get given free money from the government, which depending on which state you live in, um, could be say ten or twenty thousand dollars to go towards uh, this property. So those are a couple of um, benefits. But Pete, what do you reckon are some drawbacks if you're considering buying and living in one of these types of properties? Yeah, that's uh, really well explained. I remember when I was um, growing up. I remember my parents used to say, like, for people who actually uh, build their own homes, as a rule of thumb, they used to say it would probably cost half as much. I'm, I guess that doesn't really apply so much these days, not least with the way the cost of uh, building materials have gone over the past two or three years. But generally, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? If you're building on the city fringe, uh, the land values can be a bit lower than where the established prices are closer into the city. Uh, So it could be more affordable. I think a lot of people like just the idea of brand new accommodation, especially I think popular with uh, new migrants. Um, A lot of Asian migrants really like the idea of a brand new property, less focused on location quite often because, um, you know, as a new arrival to the country, you're not necessarily tied in to any specific location. Um, And yes, the incentives is a big one, isn't it? I mean, these are a bit of a movable fee, so you need to check what's available in your state and now. But things like stamp duty concessions, first homeowners grants, there's been other initiatives um, in terms of lending schemes, Keystart. Um, so that's a, it's a, I think it's a big draw card for some people if the government is, as you said, incentivizing you to do it. Um, uh, we, well, we saw through the pandemic um, when the government introduces incentives, they do work. For new houses. They do so, work, yeah. Yeah, so yes. Now, the flip side, as you mentioned, as buyer's agents, we generally focused on um, established properties that are already built 
Um, in many respects, it's more of a known quantity doing that. Um, you know what you're getting. You can uh, base uh, your sort of offer price on a range of comparable sales, but that's not necessarily the case when you're doing the house and land option. So, yeah, the, the, the drawbacks can be sometimes the location. I mean, almost by definition, um, quite often these sort of new house and land packages or estates, they're further out, less close to things like amenities, lifestyle. I think all, almost as by definition as well, there's less scarcity um, because very often, as you mentioned, they're part of uh, significant land releases. So um, it's not just going to be one block of land. You know, there's going to be multiple and sometimes dozens and dozens of blocks. Um, so there could be less scarcity in, in the product. Um, Pete, I was flying in from wherever I was recently and um, coming in over the northern part of Melbourne and here and there I could just see patches of areas which had been built up with house and land and they were just these little islands in the middle of these big empty vacant um, blocks of land. So even within that estate you're buying something which doesn't have a lot of um, like scarcity value because there's a lot of other very similar properties to start with but then also there is that big risk of all of those other um all of all of that other land around you being built up over time as well and yet yeah, like you've just said um not as much scarcity there and that can actually impact your future resale value which from a homeowner perspective you might not be bothered about so much but certainly from an investment perspective very relevant at the extreme end of the spectrum, um, if you're thinking about market cycles, um, thinking back to 2007, 8, 9 in countries like Spain and Ireland, and there were great big swathes of land being released. And uh, these days you'd be able, easily able to see it on things like Google Earth. But um, yes, it's, um, that's, a, that's really a market cycle thing. But yes, definitely less scarcity in the product. I think the other thing is, that, I mean, almost always there's going to be more unknowns in buying a property that isn't built yet things like unexpected costs um we've seen over the past couple of years um the fixed price contracts but then suddenly the you know the, the cost of materials has gone up so then there's uh, things like risks for the builder and developer we've seen lots of insolvencies um there's been no end of um stories over recent cycles um relating to build quality um you know we find quite often teething issues with new properties uh within relatively short space of time and things yeah. like um, even just uh, the un the unexpected delays to the build takes longer than expected so i guess um and, and all the while all you're paying that, a mortgage you're paying you're paying um interest on i mean it's a little bit of a different way a different kind of loan when you've got a construction loan, you're only paying interest only on the part that you've drawn down at that point in time. But you're still, it's still costing you and then you're living elsewhere, probably where you're building as well. And delays are very, very, very common. So if your builder says, I'm going to be finished on September 1st, please don't book the moving van for then. <laughs> Just know that it could be a month, it could be six months of a delay and that can, um, you know, eat into your budget. I think, yes, you're right. I mean, overarching point really is that you, you, there is some financing risk here as well. Um, for example, you mentioned what, what happens if the land value actually decreases. Now, most of the time you expect land values to rise, but that's not necessarily always the case and everywhere and depending on the stage of the cycle. And, um as you mentioned, if the build cost ends up being different to what you initially expected, some financing risk is there as well. Now, 
Um, well, that's probably one of the bigger risks, I'd say, Pete, because like off the plan where you're, you might be, you have a pre-approval now and you might be in a, a good financial position, but by the time that property is ready to title and then you're ready to build on it, your situation could change too. Lenders' policies could change. Uh, like you said, your valuation might come in lower than what you've paid. And it's so hard to predict the future. And we're talking about, you know, can be many years into the future. And then you have to go and get a construction loan to build this property. So all of a sudden, what seems like a good idea right now, if your circumstances change or just circumstances beyond your control change, you can be in a position where you might not be able to settle on that bit piece of land. You might need to come up with a contingency plan, borrow money off someone to settle, um, or you might not then be able to afford to build and then you have to offload that land. And if you can, great, but it's it's not a guarantee and you might not um, come out ahead on that. So that's a big risk, uh, finance risk. And like you said too, Pete, the the cost, um, the unexpected cost with building, you might, your builder might, you know, start digging and hit rock and it escalates the costs or other things which you hadn't factored in and you need to come up with that money or build costs having gone up recently and builders, there have been a lot of sort of private negotiations between builders to say, well, if we want to finish your product, yes, we've committed to this contract, but we're going to have to charge you more. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to complete it. And sometimes um, those people have just had to say, grin and bear it and, and have to pay those extra costs to avoid the risk of not ending up with an unfinished build. In recent times, yes, there's been shortages of tradies, shortages of materials, cost overrun. So those things have all been, um, well, that's quite a timely point. Um, you mentioned um, for a, a family, you know, the idea of uh, sort of building a new home that they can uh uh, design or customize or make it bespoke in some way it's brand new i, I really un understand the motivation there but what about um for an investor amy we often see investors being advised or lured into sort of buying house and land packages um but why would an investor go down the route of buying or investing in something that isn't yet built i, I suppose the the typical things i see advertised or suggested could be um you could potentially get um, strong depreciation benefits, particularly on a new house. I think um, the depreciation benefits would be very high. Um, it is said that a brand new property could be easier to rent out, which I think is probably um, true initially, provided you're not, um, you're not one of uh, dozens and dozens of houses hitting the market at the same time. And I guess um, theoretically anyway, you could make some capital gain if the land and build cost is less than the value of the final product. I guess uh, those would be the the typical reasons that an investor might look at it. Yeah, and I think I could probably we could probably approach those as saying they're not necessarily um, as shiny of a benefit as they seem. In that depreciation is a recognition of a loss, right? Um, it's yes, it might be easier on the hip pocket with your cash flow once you do your tax return and you get um, a nice amount of money back. But that's because you've bought a brand new product and kind of like when you buy a brand new car and drive out of the showroom, it depreciates straight away. So it's a recognition of that loss. But yeah, in theory, some uh, we'll call them investment advisors in quotation air quotation marks here. We'll, we'll pitch that as the main key benefit. And that's, that is a really much... Um, that's very much a red flag when you are an investor and you um, get pitched 
brand new properties and house and land type properties as great investments because quite commonly these people who are selling them are getting hefty commissions from selling them and they make it seem really appealing but you need to understand how that person is getting paid and, and really question um, what the true benefits are here. Because you said, Pete, yes, a brand new property may be easier to rent out, but is there actually going to be a rental market for where you're looking? I, I tend to find that a lot of people go out to these areas to live, to buy a house to live in, not necessarily to rent. And those areas can be a lot less connected to job hubs connected to the CBD. You might get stuck on the freeway for 90 minutes to get into town and there might not be public transport out there. So there might not actually be as strong of a rental market as you expect. And then, like you said, Pete, you might make a capital gain if the land um, increases in value, but then, and on paper that could look good, but what was your opportunity cost there? Where else could you have put that money? And if land had increased there, well, had it increased the same, if not more, in an established area. So just understanding that you need to, um, yeah, focus on the broader picture here because the drawbacks are, well, first of all, if it's um, it's the same risks as what we talked about. If you're buying this and then building it um, as an investor, you're, you're going to experience all of the same risks that we talk about from a home buyer perspective in the finance risks and the build risks, and it's a lot more effort. Um, we are, but it's also you could um, not have to go through the house and land building process. And as an investor, you might just be buying the end product. And in which case, you still have the drawbacks of having a depreciating product in an area with less scarcity, et cetera, but then may not have to take on that risk of financing and building, et cetera. So from an investment perspective, you might be um, considering this type of option either at the start, land and house or at the end and essentially buying a brand new property in one of these estates areas and mitigating the risk a little bit. <laughs> there have been issues, I think, in Melbourne, actually, with some of the new land releases whereby um, the new properties aren't actually within walking distance of transport. And then um, there's an almighty ship fight for people driving to train stations in the morning, completely unable to find parking, abandoning cars, abandoning cars to the side of the road. It's just... Uh, you know, teething issues, not just with properties, but actually with um, fringe um, or greenfield estates sometimes. So I think that that is definitely one thing you really want to watch out for is um, walkability to things like amenities, transport, cafes, restaurants, school zones. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, with some of the new uh, releases, there just isn't infrastructure provided, at least initially. So that that's definitely an issue. I think you, you mentioned there, advisor commissions i mean this is just a recurring theme in the industry but without generalizing too much um, if you get recommended a new property by an accountant financial planner property advisor I, I would say most of the time in my experience if someone's recommending that you buy a new property it's usually uh, self-interest because there's a commission involved very often in the range of six to eight percent of the purchase price quite often um, and an accountant yeah. and a financial planner should never be recommending a specific product or location or development to you. That is a that is a huge red flag, isn't it, Pete? I think, uh, yes, in my experience, um, often, uh, I mean, you have to question why um, in these instances, why, why does the uh, builder or developer need to pay such a large commission to get the property sold? It's not 
an indication usually of a strong performing asset, quite quite the opposite. The same could apply if you see things like guaranteed rent returns. Uh, people are sort of drawn in by the idea of a guaranteed, say, 5% rental yield for the first couple of years. But again, you've got to question why. You know, why is that guarantee in place? And what happens when it ends? So those can be uh, things like red flags. I, I think in terms of um, if you're looking for uh, certain uh, developers, is it, is it anything that um, buyers who are going down this route could do to make sure that they're dealing with a reputable developer? Because I guess uh, one of the key issues in the industry at the moment is there's lots of insolvencies, uh, builders and developers and construction companies going into voluntary administration. It's a red hot issue at the moment. Is there anything that people can do there to to offset that risk? Yes and no, Pete. <laughs> yes to a certain point. You can do as much research as you can on that developer or that builder. You can have a look at their previous products. You can talk to people who they've used them before to understand if they were building on time to make sure that there's no delays because if you're um, if you're working with a builder and they constantly have delays, well, that's costing them as well and that can eat into their cash flows. You could ask your um, solicitor to do some extra checks on them to see if they have any, um, you know, strikes against them. And, you know, there are all of these extra things that you can do, but ultimately it is completely outside of your control. And we've seen recently where um, it's a case of even the bigger companies aren't protected with all of this. In fact, they may actually be at more risk because their margins are lower. So when costs go up or when timeframes blow out, they are more susceptible. So the short answer is, you cannot protect yourself completely, even if you've done all of your research. And even if that builder is doing well at that point in time, that may change in the future. So this is a very uh, important risk that you need to go into this understanding that it is um, it can be costly and you cannot mitigate and min- minimise this risk completely. Yes, certainly been a big uh, challenge and um, we keep uh, getting more and more media articles about even some quite significant players in the industry uh, coming under pressure or facing insolvency. Um, so we've covered some of the key issues there, Amy, and uh, I think you know our experience has been there's less risk in buying established property. Um, what are the, some of the other considerations for people uh, uh, looking at house and land packages? I guess if you're looking at a vacant block of land, some of the things you would look at um, for example, a flat block of land is typically a lot easier to build on than a, a sloped block, uh, which can add additional challenges and cost. I think as well, um, I mean, I guess when you're looking at vacant land, um, you would consider things like orientation, are you getting a, a north-facing block that could capture some of the winter sun? Uh, and also, we already mentioned that the amenity aspect, you know, if you're, you're too isolated, too far away from uh, sort of the local amenities or entertainment, then that could be a, a bit of a problem in its own right. And I guess um, also, I guess another key consideration is things like rules and regulations, because um, councils can have restrictions uh, around things like um, things like noise. Um, uh, there's also things like um, considerations of parking requirements or... And pets as outdoor well. Outdoor space, could be, covenants. Yeah. yeah, I think so an awareness of... The potential risks around rules and regs is obviously another key thing you would have to think about. 
Yeah, definitely. And when you're buying into these larger estates, especially if they're not yet built, it's it can be a little bit challenging to picture what they're going to look like, but they'll generally come with um, or you'll be able to obtain like the, the plans, the master plan of that area and you'll be able to see where the bus stops are and where the shopping strip is and all of, all of these things too. So you can factor that into your decision making. But certainly there are extra steps that you can take um, in your due diligence phase at the very beginning. And also understanding that when you go and have a look at these beautiful showrooms or, you know, you're walking through display suites, that's not necessarily the product that you're going to be buying if you're buying the base package because those display suites might have all of these extra upgrades and extra things which do cost you money. Um, So it's really important just to understand if you're committing to a build contract, what does that include um, and how does that compare to what you've pictured you're going to be getting because you've walked through that display suite. So a lot of extra things that you need to do along the way. Um, And then also just having that really close relationship and a lot of discussions with your mortgage broker around what are the risks here? What are my finance risks? What will happen if for whatever reason my land depreciates in value and at settlement time, how can I minimize that risk or what would my other options be? And am I definitely going to be in a position where I can get approved for a construction loan? And if so, how much will I be able to get approved for? And then go and make sure that you can build the product that you want for that amount. So don't just say this is a an issue for future me. Um, I've bought this land now and it's not going to title for a year or two. I'll just deal with it later on. Um, make sure you go into that knowing exactly what you're going to get out of it at the end and that you can, you can afford it. We've talked a lot, Amy, here about the risks of um, house and land packages. And that's, I mean, to, to a large degree based on our personal experience, we've seen plenty of instances of people paying top dollar for a, a brand new uh, property or brand new home, but then finding you know, three or four years down the track, that, as you said, it's no longer a new property and sometimes there's been some depreciation. I think, though, uh, regardless of uh, whatever we say on this podcast, I think the history shows that when the government puts incentives in place, especially for first-time buyers, people are going to go down this route. So I think um, if you're a first-time buyer who's considering this, um, I was actually talking to Chris on the podcast only last week, and he said that they're finding at the moment in the mortgage broking space is very hard uh, with borrowing capacities having reduced over the past uh, 12 or 15 months at the time of recording. Actually, a lot of people just can't um, get into these new properties now. The first time buyers are struggling to, to bring up the financing. Uh, but if you're going to go down that route, I guess uh, th- those are two key considerations. Firstly, what incentives are on offer, things like stamp duty concessions. We've recently seen the first home guarantee scheme uh, where some first home buyers are bought with just, uh, say, a 5% deposit. And I think the other thing is just having a really good understanding of how these deals are financed. Now, a house and land package, um, it may well be um, packaged up so you know what the total cost should be. Um, But um, as you touched on before, you potentially hear uh, looking at a two-part financing process, firstly, the land purchase, and then secondly, for the house construction, which can be useful, I guess, Amy, um, in the sense that um, if you know what your budget is, and also potentially you're only making payments on um, construction as it progresses in installments. Um, but again, there, there's um, potential risks here, um, I guess, as you already touched on, especially in a, an environment at the moment where interest rates are going up. Um, so 
uh, got to be really careful about things like cost and time overruns because, um, yeah, so it all ends up, doesn't it? Pete? Yeah, the first yeah. decision onto the housing ladder, you know, you could arguably say that's the most important because if you get the first one right, um, all subsequent decisions are going to become easier. You can leverage on uh, the good results, but if you get the first one wrong, it can really set you back quite a number of years on your journey. It can, and maybe an additional resource, and I haven't actually gone onto these websites before, but I had a friend um, build Landon House not too long ago, and during that process, they went on these forums online, and maybe just Google it, I'm sure you'll be able to find them somewhere, but within those forums, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people just talking about their experience, going through the process, mistakes that they had made, things that they weren't aware of, builders that they'd had good or bad experiences with, and it helped my friend create almost like a checklist for themselves throughout the process to know, okay, well, these are the questions I ask at this point in time. These are the things that I need to be aware of. So it is up to you to a certain extent to go and um, put all of this time and effort into it because you don't know what you don't know. And then if you don't understand everything, you won't know the right questions to ask or, or people to speak to along the way. So um, certainly from a risk perspective, in comparison to buying an established property, much, much higher risk, much more uncertainty. But at the end of the day, if what you value, specifically I'm talking about as a homeowner, is that size and space and the brand newness of that property and that's what's really important to you, then all of those risks might be something that you're willing to, willing to take on. And I've certainly seen plenty of people buy in these areas and they've been really, really happy. But then I've also seen other issues where um, things have gone very, very wrong. So go into it with eyes wide open. And the key thing here with any property purchase, house and land, off the plan, established, is to know all of the all of the benefits and drawbacks and weigh it up going into it and then make a decision that's that's right for you. It can be quite a journey and it can be stressful, I guess, as well, Amy. I think, um, I mean, it, as you know, every project and every package is going to be different. But um, you need to factor in potentially 18 months, two years, you know, from the start of the process uh, from buying the land to actually uh, getting the keys and moving in. It, it can be two years. I think um, there's data out from PropTrack that shows, although home building you would think is quicker and easier these days, on average, though, uh, the journey is currently 22 months. And um, there's been delays for various reasons of late. But it does show that uh, with all the potential things that could impact um, the home building journey, things like bad weather, you know, we, depending on where you are in the country, we get torrential downpours, um, things like uh, sourcing materials has been really difficult of late. Um, so it, you do really need to factor in that the journey is not necessarily going to be a short one. Um, and look, I mean, this is an opinion, uh, but it is statistically backed up as well. I would say as an investor, um, there's less risk and there's usually a better bang for your buck than going down the house and land package. But for a home buyer, uh, sometimes people do prefer to go down that route. And um, if that's you, then just uh, be aware of the risks. And you, as you mentioned, you've got to take steps to uh, mitigate them. That's right. It's like online dating. There's a option out there for everyone and what's going to work for someone <laughs> won't necessarily work for someone else. <laughs> I'll take your word for that one. I'm not not been active in the space uh, anytime. I'm sure recently, you could presume what it's like though, Pete. <laughs> yes, I I have heard. Yes. So uh, yeah. that's a, and uh, well, you, as you mentioned there's plenty of good online resources as well these days. So 
Oh, um, like Tinder, um, okay, I was, Cupid. <laughs> no, I was thinking more in the uh, in the house and land package. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, if that's you as well, then uh, yes, we'll uh, leave some links in the show notes if you want to uh, send Amy your questions on the uh, specifics of online dating. So, Amy, <laughs> is there anything else we haven't covered off today in terms of the pros, cons, and risks of house and land packages? No, I think we, we've summed it all up, Pete. And, um, you know, like we said, these this is not the pro- types of properties we buy um, very much from an investment perspective, but from a home buyer perspective, it might be a good option for you. It might be not a good option for you. Maybe we've turned you off it by having a chat about all of the risks today, but that's what we're here to do, Pete. We're here to highlight the pros and cons and let you make your own decision. So thank you very much and time for time for me to start my day and time for you to go to bed, Pete. It is. Uh, yes, it's certainly um, building and buying new has certainly gone out of favour over the past uh, few months um, or past six months. And um, actually lending now to buy or build a new home is at the lowest level since 2008. So a lot of people are seeing the risks and just uh, deciding it's just not worth it for them at the moment. So um, yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, as always, do send us your property questions um, by the link in the show notes. We'd love to cover what's topical, what's hot, and what you want to hear about. Um, you can catch me at Pete Wargent Blogspot. That's my daily blog, at Pete Wargent on Twitter, if you must. And also do subscribe for the Rask Media Podcasts um, via your favorite podcast player and, of course, on YouTube. And, Amy, if people want to find out more about you and your services, where can they go to for more? So I um, have an online course at thefirsthomeguidebook.com.au or you can also follow me at Amy Lunardi Property on Instagram. So thank you again to everyone who has listened today and we'll see you next time. Fantastic. Thanks, Amy. Enjoy your lovely winter's day in Melbourne and we'll chat soon. See you, Pete. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player. 
to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.